Today's reading comes from Luke 18, 9 to 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, Usually I'm announcements guy, so this is great. I am now preaching guy. Uh, if you don't, if you don't know who I am, I'm Dave. I'm a part of the team here at Christ City. I'm the associate pastor here at Christ City South Vancouver, and it's my joy to be with you on this long weekend. So you are the remnants. So clearly, some people have headed out to various places, but it is great to be gathered together as God's people under His Word. Uh, so today, as a pastor type, I thought, hey, you know, what would be really good if we concentrate on prayer. So we're going to look at prayer today. Uh, we're going to be kind of exploring uh, what it is that Jesus teaches us on prayer. Now, uh, we're going to do this in a couple of different ways, but we're going to kind of land in the passage you just heard read in Luke chapter 18 in this fairly familiar parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the, the way we're going to do this to enter into what Jesus is teaching us is three questions. The basic question, the first question, I think profound question, is what is prayer exactly? So maybe we don't actually know what prayer is. The second, I think it's a challenging and perhaps blunt and maybe even has a bit of a sting in it, is why don't we actually pray? Why is it that we don't pray? And the third, I would say, is a practical and encouraging question. How then do we pray, particularly as Jesus teaches us? So um, before we actually talk about prayer, it would probably be good if we actually did pray, right? So let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We thank you for this beautiful day, uh, for gathering us here in your word amongst your people. And Lord, we do pray that you would help us to understand this beautiful gift that you give to us in prayer. We pray that you would help us to understand why it is that we find prayer so difficult at times. And Lord, would you teach us how to pray even more deeply, with even more of a love for you? So Lord, we pray that by your Spirit, you will empower us this day. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So the first question, what is prayer? In particular, what is Christian prayer? Now, for a lot of us, we've probably heard various definitions of prayer over the years. Kind of this general, okay, a petition to God or whatever object of worship. Some sort of spiritual communication or religious observance, so on. And many of you have probably seen different expressions of prayer all around the world. Whether it's at a Sikh temple or a Buddhist meditation. Or maybe you've seen footage of folks at the Wailing Wall and you're like, what are they doing there, right? Right. Or maybe you've even heard a Muslim call to prayer. 
Or where you live in Vancouver, maybe you've seen someone praying to a tree. I, I don't know. There, there are all sorts of different kinds of ideas about prayer. And so uh, I love what Tim Keller says. Tim Keller is one of these uh, pastors and theologians who has a kind of genius of summarizing uh, very deep theological ideas that all of us can kind of understand. And here's what Tim Keller says in his book on prayer. What is prayer then in the fullest sense? Prayer is continuing a conversation that God has started through his word and his grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with him. Now, if you're one of the youth or youth leaders, you've already heard this quote, but it's really good, okay? Because I used this before. Um, So the idea is that prayer isn't just something religious that we do. As Christians, prayer is a relationship. It's a conversation that's initiated by God himself. Prayer is founded in God's word by his grace and salvation in Christ Jesus. And it's an encounter an experience of God. And prayer, as we shall see, has an eternal reality. We're going to see that in a bit. So I want to say a few quick things about what is prayer as we begin. So just promising this isn't exhaustive, but prayer is speaking, prayer is hearing or listening, and prayer is experiencing, experiencing God. So kind of three simple things. So prayer is speaking. Now I thought I'd start with this one because most of us kind of get that part right? All over the Bible, uh, we see God's people praying to him, right? Speaking to him, praising, thanking, even lamenting and grieving. That's the Psalms, right? You see that all through the Psalms. And yes, for sure, Christians do come before God with all our heart's longings, right? To ask God for many things from like the big stuff, which is things like family or relationships or, or maybe a home or jobs or even sickness, to the little things, right? To various lost items, like where are my keys, right? Or to bad internet connections, like, Lord, would you fix the internet? Or perhaps it's about someone who's driving you a little crazy, maybe, maybe even your own child, right? Who knows, right? But prayer isn't just a laundry list of complaints. It's so much more. Now, prayer is also listening. And this isn't a one-way monologue that we talk to God and hmm, he might be listening, No, God speaks to us. And primarily in God's word, the Bible. We listen to God in prayer. He recalls his word to our minds and hearts. Yes, he speaks by his spirit that dwells in us, moving our minds and our hearts to know his shepherding care for us. He speaks to our lives correction and discipline and forgiveness. As we listen in prayer, we're moved by God even to be obedient. Prayer isn't just listening, it's so much more. Now, prayer is also experiencing. Now, when I say this, many of you will hear emotional experience, right? God's all about the feels, right? Am I feeling God today, that experience of God? So, yes, God is three persons, the persons of the Trinity, so we can have a personal relationship with him. So, of course, we ought to have emotional responses, as we come to know Almighty God and his love for us, his, his care for us, his fatherly goodness, and also his right rebuke and correction, even the comfort of his forgiveness. So we should have an experience, emotional experience of God. So it is experience, but it's so much more. So let me bring a little corrective to kind of a limiting view of prayer. It's just, oh, it's just speaking, listening, experiencing. 
So uh, a lot of years ago, uh, when I, early on when I first became a Christian, uh, I went, started going to Regent College. And uh, really blessed by the reality that my neighbor was actually Jim Houston, who's one of the founding leaders, founding uh, teachers, professors, and principals of Regent College. So he happened to be my neighbor. So I was like, hey, Dr. Houston, can we like talk and stuff? So he was actually really amazing. He said, come and let's walk together. And he became my mentor. And uh, I love those walks together with him. Uh, walked around the park. And, and I'd be constantly kind of asking him, so you knew C.S. Lewis, right? So what was he like? How was Bible study with him? You, you lived in, in, like, in Oxford with him. How was C.S. Lewis? C.S. Lewis. And he was a whole lot more concerned about my sin and the misdirection of my life. So uh, on one occasion, I was at their house for breakfast, and it was, it was awesome. I always loved having breakfast, and it was always oatmeal, wonderful Scottish couple. Uh, and I got, a, I got a free book. And the reason I got a free book was his amazing wife, Rita, was saying to him, you need to get those books out of the hallway. They're cluttering up everything. So he's like, oh, here's a free book. But it happened to be on prayer, and it happened to be this amazing book that he had just written. And at the time, it was called A Transforming Power of Prayer. And it really does explain the transforming power of prayer. And this is what uh, my mentor, who also happened to be a grandpa to my good friend Steve, so he's also kind of grandpa. Anyways, this is what he has to say. The focus of prayer is not prayer, but God himself. This is absolutely basic to prayer, but it's easy to forget in today's world. We are such a technique-oriented society that we love to use tools just for the fun of using them. We pray not simply to enjoy the experience of praying, but to communicate with God, to submit to him, to be like him, to love and serve him. Prayer is our response to God's interest in us and his love for us. So wait, prayer isn't just about prayer. It's actually about God. Prayer isn't just how you you know, kneel or raise your hands or don't. It isn't just about our emotional experiences. Prayer is about God. Because of what Jesus and only Jesus has done, we can communicate with a perfectly holy and righteous God. So if you have come to trust in the saving work of Jesus as unique and the perfect atonement for your sin, we can know God as Father. We can know God the Son, our loving Savior. We can love and communicate with God because the Holy Spirit of God dwells in us. So, if you experience prayer with kind of a dullness or maybe dispassion, the problem isn't techniques or even your or my particular emotional mood. And the problem clearly isn't that prayer is boring. Because if this is about God, God is clearly not boring, the creator of all the universe. The sad reality is the problem lies with us. And most of us don't fully engage in this beautiful gift that God has given to us, talking to him, listening to his powerful voice, or experiencing the glory of his presence. Can we see that we're missing just so much here? There's such a compelling beauty to God. So why don't we pray? What keeps us from prayer? 
So prayer is just this wonderful thing. What's keeping us from prayer, from truly engaging in this more than just conversation of speaking and listening and experiencing? Three things. Sin and unbelief, busyness, and inexperience. Now, this is not exhaustive, but these are my top three. Sin and unbelief. Hebrews chapter 3 is super helpful here. Verse 12. Take, heart, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For you have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So if my heart has been hardened by sin and mistrust of God, why would I want to pray? Do I actually believe that God answers prayers? I've prayed before. Maybe God hasn't answered in the way that I want him to. And maybe do I really want to be in a conversation with Jesus if I assume he will kind of judge me? Maybe he will correct me and, and call me to turn away from the stuff I like and, and, and to trust in him rather than other things. Perhaps I'm afraid that God says no to things I hold really closely. Perhaps even my identity, who I think I am. In many ways, my sin counteracts the exact beauty of what prayer represents, doesn't it? Sin means I'm speaking, listening, and experiencing the world on my own terms, in my own way, and away from God. So maybe this, in part, is you today. Sin is keeping you from prayer. Maybe, like many of us, you're too busy to pray. So I know prayer is good, right? It's part of the Christian life. Everyone, you know, read your Bible and pray, right? But life is busy, right? And if we're honest, this is kind of a big one for most of us in today's society. And in this, I do want to genuinely acknowledge that there are seasons of overload and being overwhelmed. And perhaps maybe you're a young parent not getting much sleep. Or maybe your work situation is just too much for you right now. Or maybe even health issues are crushing and prayer just doesn't seem possible. And hear this with gentleness. Yet also know that even though Seasons can be difficult. Prayer is still God's plan. Prayer is still God's plan, and maybe even more so in those seasons. Now, for most of us, most of us, the busyness that keeps us from prayer is kind of of our own making, if we're honest, right? Now, back to my mentor, Jim Houston, and grandpa, to Steve. This is what he says. Since prayer belongs to the relational side of human life, to who I am rather than to what I do, it is inevitable that prayer will have very low priority at the very best for people who live busy lives. None of us is too busy for the things we regard as priorities. I'll say that again. None of us is too busy for the things we regard as priorities. Ouch. It seems seems that most of us are so busy working on the outside of our lives, whether it's the image, the physical, the successes, the control, 
And so don't get me wrong. It's important what we do. And we've heard many sermons on this. Work is good. Exercise is great. And there's nothing wrong with looking good. Clearly. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I did have my hair done this week. Um, Now, I love doing triathlons. I love doing triathlons. Um, And you kind of have to train up, right? So sometimes you have to swim a really long distance. And you kind of don't want to die, okay? So it's important that you train if you're going to do these triathlons, right? But sometimes... I have to admit this, that, that my training, my training squeezes out my prayer time. Now, three weeks ago, you heard a really fantastic sermon on technology. And if we're honest, we're honest, we're so enculturated by our devices and the technology around us that it seems to constantly distract us and steal our time. Friends, the busyness that we live tends to be so much more about us than about God, doesn't it? Now, a third and fairly common reason that we don't pray is inexperience. Inexperience. So perhaps you you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. So you're, you're not quite experienced in what this would look like. Perhaps you're young. Maybe you're a youth or a young person or even young in faith, and you're yet to discover the goodness of who God is. Perhaps you're kind of expecting some sort of emotional flood. You're just like, well, I'm just not experiencing God. Let me translate each of these kind of inexperiences. So maybe if you haven't yet come to trust in Jesus, well, praying to him is kind of a foreign and strange activity, isn't it? It sort of looks weird. It kind of like holds in your eye. It's like, this is an odd thing. Maybe you haven't yet experienced his love for you. His rescue from your self-orientation to turn to him to know the true and living God who made you for himself. You may not quite have an understanding of and this internal experience in your heart yet of God's love. Maybe you're pretty young or young in the faith. You're just kind of coming to a place of faith. And you know that prayer is supposed to be pretty good, right? This prayer thing is pretty good. Maybe, and if we're honest, it seems a bit boring, right? Or maybe even a bit embarrassing. You know, if you have to kind of share all the things that are going on in your life, your fears and anxieties. Maybe you've never really seen prayer work. Maybe you've never seen someone's life transformed by prayer. They've become a Christian and a strong Christian and started to love Jesus in some amazing ways. Maybe you've never seen that. Or maybe you've never seen someone prayed for and they're healed. Maybe you don't yet feel comfortable spending time with Jesus in such a close way. Maybe you're kind of young and inexperienced in that. Now, some of us may not pray because it doesn't always feel good. You want that experience, but it doesn't always just feel good, right? There's so many other things that kind of fire you up, get you going, right? Maybe it's even some, some great worship or, or a cool podcast or something, right? But prayer, you know, it's not just not my thing, right? You know, I'm more of an athlete or, a, or a, an artist or, or a scientist or whatever. It just kind of doesn't get you going. You haven't yet had an experience where you can really say, I've encountered God in such a way that I know he's good. I know he loves me. And it's not about how I feel. It's about who he is. Maybe you have yet to experience that. So many things keep us from prayer. And I would say chiefly among them, kind of sin and unbelief. 
busyness, and even inexperience. So, what does Jesus actually teach us about prayer in our passage today? How do we pray? How do we pray? How does Jesus teach us to pray? How does he kind of correct some of these things? And this is only one short passage, so Jesus is revealing some helpful characteristics of prayer. And we can't explore everything about prayer, but for a few moments, let us hear the voice of Jesus on prayer. And because I clearly like threes, we are going to look at this passage in three parts. First, in the context of Luke. So we have to know what Luke is talking about. Secondly, in the character of prayer. What, what's going on in this character? What, what's going on underneath this prayer? And thirdly, in the content. What's kind of being said in prayer as Jesus teaches us? So first, the context. And the context of Luke is the kingdom. It's the kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. And the context is Christ-focused. Our passage in Luke is kind of couched in the kingdom. It's this teaching on on the kingdom, whether it's the promise of the kingdom being in the midst of us in chapter 17, or right after our passage, the kingdom of God, being receiving the kingdom of God like a little child. Now even listen to when Jesus talks on prayer in Luke chapter 11, when he's speaking on prayer, how kingdom-oriented it is. It's a very familiar prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Chapter 11, verses 2 to 4. When you pray... Say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. The prayer, and this prayer is so simple. It's, it's praise to God our Heavenly Father. But in the very same breath, it's prayer for the kingdom. The very kingdom of our Heavenly Father. And then it turns to our physical and spiritual needs bread and, and then the forgiveness and right direction toward God and not towards sin. So keep that in mind as we come to our passage in just a moment. And I want you to remember this too, that in the context of Luke, Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And just before Jesus goes to the cross, he's before Pilate in chapter 23, starting at verse 1. Then the whole company of them arose and brought Jesus before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man leading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, He answered him, You have said so, or it is as you say. Here in Luke and the other Gospels, Jesus, the Son of God, reveals himself to be the true and anointed king. But a king who rode humbly into Jerusalem on a donkey. A king who went to the cross to take our sin and judgment. This is a different kind of kingdom. A different kind of kingdom than we expect with a very different king. And remember this as we come to the character of prayer in the kingdom. So what is the character of prayer? Let's look at this parable to hear what's underneath our prayer life. Now, as many of you know, a parable is one of those stories that Jesus tells. It sounds all cute and fun, right? But as you kind of listen to the story, you know, you're like, okay, you kind of get involved, you get, you get kind of engaged, you kind of see the characters, and then Jesus kind of pow, knocks you and turns you upside down, shakes up your faith and calls you to follow him in a radical and unexpected way. Now, of course, this parable is kind of no different. 
So Jesus sort of draws this picture of prayer in pride and prayer in humility. Starting at verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So Jesus introduces us to the people in the story. A respected Pharisee and a hated tax collector. Right? Now, perhaps in our day and age, uh, we would have said like a church leader of some sort or maybe an elder or this sort of long-standing Christian or very handsome pastor. Something like that, right? <laughs> and maybe the other, like, well, tax collector still, no one really likes that either. But maybe it could be a tax auditor or, or, or maybe some person who gives you parking tickets or, or maybe some cranky teenager or maybe even someone's abrasive friend that they brought to Alpha, right? Someone that... He's like, that guy, you know, or, or that gal, you know. Not the, the leader, right? Not, not this respected person that everyone kind of loves and respects. So the expectation then is that someone with these kind of religious credentials has it right. But the other guy, whoever, the tax collector or, or whatever, that guy or that gal, they're nowhere near right. So, of course, Jesus blows that up. Um, <laughs> And he always does it as he kind of invites us right in. And he's inviting us into this internal life of these two people. And we're to hear their heart in prayer, their attitude in prayer, their posture in prayer. So first, we have the character of the Pharisee. Verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. Now, I know you know this parable already, but are you relating to this guy just a little bit? He does seem to be a kind of upstanding guy. He seems to want to do the right thing. He does seem to be upset with the sinful state of the world. And he doesn't just want to do what's right, but he really wants to do what's right, right? He kind of wants to be kind of zealous for it. So at first glance, what's so bad about this guy, right? As a Christian, we can kind of be like this, right? We want to be, do what's right, and, and we don't want to do what's wrong. We don't want to be like kind of those guys, right? Maybe that's kind of what we think. Sometimes we kind of think this way and act this way, and God forbid, even pray this way, but usually not allowed, right? We're like, Lord, we pray for that guy. Bless his heart, you know? We kind of pray like that, but usually not out loud, as I said. So what is the Pharisee's posture and attitude towards God? Well, do you notice the Pharisee stands out? He's kind of got this obvious faith and trust, but in himself. His spiritual confidence is self-oriented. And so you notice here, he assumes with confidence in his right to stand before God. Probably right up in front of the temple. He has a spiritual self-confidence, confidence that he can stand before God on his own merit. And the Bible calls this pride. You could even notice that the appearance of thankfulness is actually all about himself. I thank you, God, that I'm not that guy. You know, it's, it's not even really thankfulness. So, what does Jesus tell us about the Pharisee's attitude? Well, his attitude is all about power. It's about comparison, competition, and self-promotion. Me-centered, kind of self-love. 
I love what Eugene Peterson says about this guy. He says, this prayer, this Pharisee's prayer is a parody of prayer. It's not even a genuine, real prayer. It's kind of what prayer could look like, but it's, it's false. Now, I don't know if you hear that comparison, competition, and self-promotion. You're like, well, I've never heard that before. Or you're like, maybe this kind of represents or reflects the culture we live in even right now. It's so full of comparison and competition and self-promotion. Love yourself. That's probably pushed on you all the time. And it kind of ekes into your life, even into your prayer life. It's the, I'm better and stronger, but not just by a little bit. Look at all I do. Of course, this is for you, God, right? Of course, this is for you. I give to you and I give up stuff for you. You know, it's pretty hard being me. All this guy's spiritual self-confidence and assumptions of superiority and closeness to God, Jesus says he is deceived. He has a heart that's deceived. This is a parody of prayers. This is not real. So what does the character of the tax collector say as Jesus teaches us? What is his posture and attitude? What is his heart? Verse 13 says this, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. What is the posture of this guy? But the tax collector, what is different? He's broken. He's ashamed and he's longing. His posture toward God is humility. He stands far off, far as he can, perhaps even in the outer courts of the temple. And he even hides his face before God. There's none of this overt spiritual self-confidence. His attitude is that of weakness. He knows he's a sinner. And he knows he has no power in himself to be right before Almighty God. His attitude is weakness. What Jesus teaches us here is that the tax collector's heart is genuine because he doesn't have a fabricated righteousness. Only one that can be given by God himself. So what can we learn from the posture and attitude of the tax collector? Well, our posture needs to acknowledge the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the glory of God, and that we have no means into his presence by anything we can do. It would only be by his grace that we have entrance before the king. Friends, we do have that access. You have grace in Christ right now. And so never take it for granted that Christ took your sin and guilt upon himself on that cross so that you might be saved. Our attitude needs to seek humility, coming humbly before our God in his strength and our weakness. I want to say one more thing before we move on to the content of prayer. I want us to notice the Pharisee was spiritually confident in himself. But the tax collector also can be confident, but in the character and power of God. He can be confident in the love of God who would hear his prayer. He can be confident in the truth of God who forgives the sinner 
He can be confident that God is who he says he is. Our prayer life, too, can be full of confidence, but confidence in Christ, confidence in his saving work, confidence in a transformed life that as we pray, God is transforming and changing us and a confidence in the faithfulness of Jesus. So let me end with three spiritual suggestions as we look at the content of prayer of the tax collector. Verse 13 again. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. So in this very small story, Jesus is teaching some very helpful lessons. Here's just three of them. In our prayer life, pray with God at the center. In our prayer life, pray with God at the center, but pray honestly. Pray with God at the center. Pray honestly and pray expectantly that God will do something. Now, when God is at the center of your prayer life, he's at the center of what you pray. Your prayer becomes about him. And there's no way to do this without knowing him, without knowing his character, his majesty, and his mercy. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We know him by his word in his spirit. We know him most fully in Christ, that Christ is merciful to sinners. So as you read your Bible, it will extend and increase your knowledge and love of God and will increase and grow your prayer life. Keep God at the center. Now, a Christ-centered prayer life will lead you to praise. It will lead you to be thankful for all that he has done, including your salvation. It's not about competition or hating someone else, but a gracious gratitude looking to Christ and not to yourself or even others. Christ-centered prayer will remind you that you need Christ, not only in the things you see, like food and work and shelter, but the spiritual reality of Christ conquering Satan and evil. And you can pray with Jesus that you will be delivered from the enemy. And we're going to pray a little bit later on about that. Secondly, I think Jesus is teaching us to pray with radical honesty. The Pharisee only prayed what he assumed God wanted to hear. The tax collector knew he was a sinner. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In humility and weakness, he knew his sin was before God. When you pray, speak to God, confess your sin, lament, cry out, be real with your sin. And when you pray, speak to God, but also rejoice and celebrate and be real with your salvation. God wants you for who you are, not who you pretend to be. Are you willing to be honest and real and vulnerable, weak and questioning, doubting and longing before God? Be radically honest with God in prayer. Thirdly and finally, Jesus wants us to pray expectantly. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. As the tax collector humbled himself before God, sincere in his weakness, mourning his sin, 
Jesus tells us that God justifies. He counts him right. Jesus is teaching us that as we pray honestly and in real ways, God will answer. God is listening. God is with you. You can pray expectantly that God will answer. So as you pray, focused on Christ for who he is and what he has done with humility and radical confessional honesty and with expectancy, you will experience more of a relationship with God. Now I want to leave us with a way to maybe start a bit fresh in our prayer life. You've maybe heard this, that okay, it is good that prayer is about God. I do want to pray with honesty. I, I want to pray expecting God to answer. I want to pray with Christ as the very center. I wonder if, if some of us need a little bit of a restart or even just a refocus. So I personally have been really encouraged by a, a pastor and a historian and theologian. He's written a number of books uh, and he has a fantastic podcast called This Cultural Moment. Uh, he's, he's a guy from Melbourne, so he has a really cool accent as well. Um, this is a, it's a brilliant podcast, but the thing that I'm most encouraged by is the way in which uh, Mark Sayers, uh, who's, who's, a, who's a fantastic Christian leader, isn't just kind of, uh, kind of woe is me, the secular situation, where's Christianity gone, what's going on? He's pinpointing and focusing in on where we can pray, where we can see the, the work of God even now in the midst of what could seem like a hopeless situation. And I'm really grateful that uh, last week, Mark Sayers actually came into town. He, he, he heard God saying, you need to come to Vancouver. And I'm, I'm really glad that he did. And so a number of us were able to gather downtown and listen to him speak. And as a bunch of different churches, all, all, a whole bunch of leaders all around the lower mainland came to hear him speak. And, and the thing that really stuck out for me wasn't just that, oh, God is bigger than I think and greater than I think. And, and the secular world is way more fragile than I think. It was this. It was this. He called the church to contending prayer. Contending prayer. He basically was saying, we need to be in struggle for prayer, pleading, longing, engaging for the kingdom of Christ to come with a heart to see God move in our midst. Can we pray for our city? Can we pray for our church? Can we pray for one another? Contend in prayer. So instead of just praying for ourselves, like the Pharisee, I love the the last words of, of this parable. Listen to verse 14 again. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Listen to that again. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus isn't talking kind of in generalities. He's saying, if we live a life of exalting ourselves, there will be judgment. But if we live a life that humbles ourselves before Almighty God, trusting in the cross of Jesus, we will be exalted. We will be lifted into glory. We will be raised with Jesus on that day. Now, if this is true, if this is true, that there is a, a consequence 
or a reality to prayer that is actually eternal, that has eternal consequences. So in the context of, of the kingdom of God and Jesus as the king, could God not be calling his church to contend in prayer for his kingdom? For this kingdom to come, for people to come under the loving and saving rule of Jesus the King. Could that not be what we are called to right now? Let me just add one more little story before I wrap up. This week has actually been strangely difficult. And even uh, yesterday as I was preparing this message and kind of trying to wrap things up, there was something very strange about what was going on outside this building. And I was like, what is going on? It was so super distracting. And apparently, someone was kind of putting symbols, kind of satanic symbols around the church. I don't need to get into the details about that. And there was this this strange kind of sense that there's something off, something wrong going on, just even around our church. And I was reminded that we don't just contend against just people. We don't. That's not what we're called to. We're actually contend against the kingdom of darkness. There is a force and a reality that Satan is trying to crush the goodness of the kingdom of God. And I was just reminded of that over and over again yesterday as I, as I prayed and I asked for prayer. And God was lifting off for me kind of this spiritual oppression. And so, is it not true that there, there's a spiritual reality that prayer speaks into, that prayer breaks through as the kingdom of God comes. Would we not want to pray for our city? Would we not want to pray for our friends where the enemy has bound them? Do we not want to pray that God's kingdom would come and save people? So I want to encourage us to pray for the church. Pray for this city. Pray for your neighborhood. Pray for your workplace. Pray for your schools. And for your friends, that the kingdom of Christ may come. And yes, praise God. Yes, thank God. Yes, pray for yourself for spiritual and physical needs. But would you contend in prayer for the lost souls around you? Be expectant. I know God loves to answer this prayer. Can I pray for us? Heavenly Father, There are things that happen around us that we we don't understand. Even spiritual things. There's things that go on in us that we we long to see changed. But we trust that in prayer, we're able to speak to you. We're able to listen to your voice, God. And we're able to be expectant that, God, you act. That you save us as we come humbly before you. And so, God, would you By your grace, fill us with your spirit. Lord, give us a heart to contend in prayer for our friends, for our colleagues, for our neighborhoods, for this city, for this church. Lord, will we contend together that your kingdom would come, the kingdom of Christ would come, to bring salvation to all we know. And so, Jesus, we pray in gratitude that you are the king that you hear our prayer, and that you will answer it. And we pray this in your beautiful and mighty name. Amen. Let's stand together as we respond. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca.
We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.